We've been looking uh, at this story, uh, the bookends, the beginning and the end of which John just read here. This story called The Prodigal Son. Traditionally, it's called The Prodigal Son, but we're calling it for this series, we're calling it The Parable of the Prodigal God. We're, pu- we're calling it that because the father here in this story is, is so, so far out gracious, so beyond our expectations gracious, that he could accurately be described as being the one in this story who is truly prodigal. That word just means lavish. Like it's so, it's so giving to be called exorbitant and, and, and luxurious. He lavishly gives. So, so the concept here is that we serve a God who spends his grace lavishly. In this story, we've been talking about sort of the radical message of God being prodigal in how he, how he extends grace to lost people. In this story, it's easy to miss the radical message that Jesus is communicating here. We talked a lot about this the last couple of weeks. If you don't see that this story is actually about two sons one immoral and bad, and the other very moral and good, then you will miss the radical message of the story that both are alienated from the Father and therefore spiritually lost. I hope you caught that last week as we focused on the elder brother. You see, we assume all along the younger son who goes and wastes all that money and, 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 and lives like a profligate and wastes his own inheritance is the lost one. But as we talked about last week, both of these sons are lost. That's a remarkable message. It it, it upends our assumptions about what it means to have relationship with God and how we have that. If you haven't yet passed out the handouts, please do so. They're in the center aisles there. If you haven't passed those uh, down, please make sure you've done that so that uh, you can follow along. I'll tell you about the blanks in the uh, outlines in the handout as we go along here. But there is more. There is more to this story than meets the eye. And and, and some of what we're talking about today might be a little new, might not be something you've thought about in this story before. And and what we'll talk about today is, is easy to miss if you're not careful. What we must remember about these parables is that there's, there were three of them. There are three parables here told to the same audience and meant to be taken in and heard and thought about together. Thought about together. There are three large truths we're going to look at today, and I'll tell you about those as we go along here. The first question we want to look at is coming from a phrase at the end of verse 31. At the end of verse 31 here in uh, chapter 15 in Luke, the father is responding to the older son, and he says this, everything you have, everything I have is yours. I better get that straight. Everything I have is yours. All that is mine is yours. I believe the NIV, the New National Version says, all that is mine, uh, everything I have is yours. That phrase there is what we're going to focus a lot of our time on here today. We'll get to some of what that means in a second, but I want to ask this question first. What did it cost to bring the younger brother home? 
What did it cost to bring that younger brother who spent his, his own inheritance in wild living? What did it cost to bring that younger brother home? This is the first question we want to ask here. What was the cost of reconciliation? And this is in verses 29 to 31 here. The cost of reconciliation. That's the first blank there. Now, if you think about it, at first glance, in hearing this story, it seems not to have cost anything. There is no punishment. The younger son is just, he's just kind of taken in. And so the father, who is already looking for the younger brother's return, he opens his arms, he puts new clothes on him, and that's that. It's free. Done deal. Reconcile. Now, some people have looked at this story and pointed that out, that the reconciliation between the younger son and the father seems to be kind of like it's free. They point that out, this idea that reconciliation between them is free, and they assume that this means that reconciliation between God and between us, between God and humanity, is likewise free, which is sort of true and sort of not. There's a mistake here in this thinking. The mistake is this. The reconciliation is free to the younger brother. But it's very costly for someone else in this story. It is extremely costly. And it may not be who you think first is that person that has to expend all all that, that money and wealth to reconcile the younger brother. Because it's actually the elder brother. The elder brother is the one who has to expend his resources to bring in the other brother. We'll talk about in this just in this just a second here. That next blank there is that for the elder brother, it was very expensive. It was very expensive to bring the younger brother home. Look in verse 29 again here for just a second. Verse 29, you see the elder brother is, is furious with the father for receiving his younger brother back into the family. He alludes to it when he says here, starting in verse 29, He says, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But you go and you kill the fattened calf for this younger brother. The elder brother is is angry. He's beside himself in anger because of the cost of the reconciliation. And it's not just in sheer dollar terms because he's upset. He's upset that legally, it's his fattened calf. It's his stuff that has to be given away to celebrate bringing in this younger brother. Now remember, the father had already given the younger brother his entire legal part of the inheritance. The younger brother already had that one-third, his inheritance. And it was all gone. It was spent. Yet now, the father is restoring him, the one who spent the money, the younger brother, back into the family. The father has already put the robe, the family robe on him. He's given him the family ring. The younger brother's share of the wealth is gone, but now he's back, and every robe and ring and fattened calf is coming out of the woodwork, and ultimately, of course, it's the elder brother who owns all those things. So everything the father has now is legally 
the elder brothers. He is the only heir of all of these things that the father has left. So every robe, every ring, every fattened calf, every cent of the father's is ultimately the elder brothers. So you can understand why he's upset. I mean, wouldn't you be upset? How many of us have younger brother types that we know who is bleeding us and our family dry? And I don't mean you, David Wakefield, my brother. How many of us have known situations like that? It's hard not to be upset that this other person who's living like that is received back at my expense. But look at verse 31. There's an interesting statement here. The father says this. Everything I have is yours. The father says, everything I have is yours. He is speaking to the elder brother, and he's speaking the literal truth that everything I have is yours. So it turns out that the salvation of the younger son is not free at all. It has been extremely expensive. I mean, look at the feast, the fattened calf. He brings out the robe. There's music and dancing. And the elder brother sitting there thinking, this is going to get even more expensive. So don't miss this, this truth. The father cannot forgive the younger brother except at the expense of the elder brother. The father cannot forgive the younger brother except at the expense of the elder brother. The older brother is the one who must bear the cost of the reconciliation that we see going on here. And the elder brother knows it. He knows all of this. He knows that the forgiveness and the reconciliation is never free. Someone has to pay. Either the younger brother has to come and earn his way back into the family, as he has offered to do in verse 19, or he can come back immediately through forgiveness and then the elder brother will have to bear the cost. You see, the salvation, the reconciliation cannot be free. Someone has to pay, either the sinner or the elder brother. And the elder brother knows this, and yet he refuses to do it. He flat out refuses to go along. And so we hear Jesus tell this story. We, we hear about the younger son and the older son, and we see the elder brother refusing and the story ends we listen to the story and this elder brother is acting like one of the Pharisees that that Jesus is talking to and in a sense it's, it's a sad ending I mean Jesus is speaking in the middle of a crowd that included Pharisees and scribes as it says in verse 1 and the Pharisees in verse 2 are grumbling against Jesus they're a bunch of self-righteous sort of curmudgeons and they're saying this man receives the sinners and eats with them and so Jesus says in the next verse well actually yes I do he says so I'm going to go ahead and tell you this parable yep that's me receiving sinners eating with them and then at the end as we're seeing here He's basically, he's functionally saying at the end of the parable, and this, this elder brother refusing to pay the price of reconciliation is you, Pharisees. You are like 
the older brother. So it's a sort of a sad ending to realize at the end of this parable that we see an elder brother saying, I refuse to stand by and watch you waste my money just like the younger brother already did. Now, Father, you're spending mine? And the father says, curiously, everything I have is yours. And it just stops. The story just stops there. Leaves us wondering, imagining what exactly is Jesus doing by stopping the story so abruptly? Obviously, Jesus wants us to think about this. And this part can be missed if you're not careful. You see, there is a missing elder brother. That's the next part in the outline there. There's a missing elder brother. Not, not literally in the story, but figuratively. There is a missing elder brother for whom Jesus wants us to long in this story. He wants to long for something like a true elder brother. Let me tell you what I mean by this. Remember that Jesus told these three parables together. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. In each of the first two parables, there's a lost object and someone who goes out and searches for it and brings it home with joy. The shepherd, in the first one, searches until he finds the lost sheep. The woman searches until she finds the lost coin. So when we get to the parable of the lost son... The listeners fully expect that someone will set out to search for the lost brother and to bring him home. But no one does. Jesus is leading us to ask, who should have gone out to search for this lost boy? And to those first century listeners, the answer would have been very clear. It should have been the elder brother. The elder brother should have gone out to search for that lost son. You see in that culture, that's part of the reason the oldest son gets the lion's share of the estate. That is part of the reason the elder brother gets to carry on the name of the family and get the lion's share of the estate. It was his job to sustain the family's unity. It was his job, being the eldest, to maintain the family name and the honor of the family, to keep its place in the community. So the elder brother should have said something like this in this parable. Father, my younger son has obviously been a fool. And his life is in ruins. But I will go look for him and I will bring him home. And if the inheritance is gone, as I expect it is, I'll bring him home at my expense. But there is no brother like that in this story. Jesus might, in fact, be leaving that brother out on purpose. He doesn't put a brother like that into the story. Instead, the younger son and the father have to deal with a stubborn, resistant, self-righteous elder brother who refuses to search for the lost brother. But we do not. We do not. 
the elder brother in this story, who doesn't really do his job, is there to make us long for a true elder brother. One who, if we go astray, won't hold it against us, but who will seek us. Who will go to seek us and bring us back at any risk and any cost, any expense to himself. You see, we have the true elder brother. Think of the kind of elder brother that you and I need. Think of what sin does in our relationship with God. We need one who would not just go off into a far country, but who would come all the way from heaven to earth to find us. We need one who would not just open his wallet, but pour out his actual life. One who would not just pay a finite cost, but an infinite debt to bring us back into the family. And we do. See, when the father says to the elder brother, everything I have, when the father says to him, everything I have is yours, that is literally true of Jesus. Jesus had all of God's glory. Colossians 2 says that in him, in Christ, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In Philippians, it talks about Jesus having equal glory with the Father, but giving that up, emptying himself. It says in Philippians 2, 5, 8, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not equate quality with God, something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of a man, being in human form, humbled himself to become obedient, even to the point of death on a cross. So, so for us, 2,000 years after the parable of these sons and this coin and the sheep, how do we get the Father's robe? How do you and I get the Father's robe? We get it from Jesus, who was stripped naked on the cross. How do we get a seat at the Father's feast? From Jesus, who took the cup of wrath that we might have the cup of joy. You see, Jesus is our true elder brother. And he even says so. Hebrews says, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus is the true elder brother who seeks us, who calls to you and to me, brother. He's the one who stands and gives us his robe, his ring, his place. He gives us his wealth at his own expense. We have a true, a true elder brother for whom we long someone to search us out. If you need to name Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, as Lord of your life that was bought at His expense, if you want to join this church home and publicly declare your faith and put your lot in with us in the waters of baptism, or if you just need somebody to pray with you, we ask that as we stand to sing in just a moment that you would come forward.